Amen. Aren't you glad our Savior pleads for us? We can be assured of that. Thank you so much, Lena and Kaylin and Liberty. What a blessing that is. Our Savior pleads for us. If you would turn with me today to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. What a treasure we have in Christ. And what a responsibility we have to guard that treasure, even as we share it with others. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13, Paul continues his instructions to young Timothy and also to us. 2 Timothy 1, verse 13 The Bible says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from thee of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. When he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he might find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things He ministered unto me at Ephesus. Thou knowest very well. Let's pray. Father, what a treasure we have to keep. And even as our Savior pleads for us, we ask for your power today as we go through this passage. And I pray, Lord, that you would uncover these spiritual truths for us today plant them deep within our hearts. May they bear fruit unto eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep the faith, Paul says. Keep the faith until Jesus returns. Guard the word of God which has been entrusted to you. We are not the source of the gift. And Paul, remember, has in verse 6, told Timothy to stir up the gift of God which was in him. We're not the source of the gift, but we are the stewards of it. And This is not just for ministers. It's not for full-time Christian leaders. It is for every child of God. And I hope that you are a child of God today. I hope that you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior. That is where service to the Lord begins. And friends, as servants of the Lord, we have been entrusted with His Word to proclaim it and to live it. There are many professing believers that have failed to keep the faith. And I say the word professing believers because not everyone who professes possesses. One of the things that I have found as a minister, and for those of, there are some of you in here who have been full-time preachers or ministers, 
And you know that people will try to con you. They can talk the talk. They've grown up around it, and they know the language. Let me say, you can fool me, and you can fool others around you, but you won't fool God. And your lifestyle will tell the true story. This is not just something that we speak in word, as important as that is. But friends, this is something that we live. It is a heart relationship with God. It is not an extracurricular activity reserved for Sundays. That's the burden that God wants us to understand. There are just professing believers who have turned their backs on the truth for whatever reason. Years ago, my wife and I, when we were Christian school teachers, attended a Christian school convention in South Carolina. Someone came up behind me and put his hand on my shoulder. And when I turned around, I noticed it was the governor of South Carolina. He was an impressive figure, well-mannered, eloquent. There was a lot of talk that he was going to run for the presidency of the United States, that he had a good shot of winning. That was before something happened. A few years later, it was discovered that he was having an affair with another woman. This man claimed to be a born-again believer. But I think that the most tragic thing of all was that there was no real repentance that this man demonstrated. He was later asked the question, why he, as a professing believer, would abandon his wife and children for an illicit relationship. And he responded, and he said this. He said, I'm still a Christian, but I had to follow my heart. Isn't that familiar? I found my soulmate. And that's what he said again and again. That's how he justified deserting his faithful wife. Now, folks, there are many excuses that a man may give for turning his back on what he knows to be right, but none of them are acceptable with God. None of them. In his book, The Wisdom Pyramid, Brett McCracken writes this. He said in Oprah Winfrey's Lifetime Achievement Award acceptance speech at the 2018 Golden Globes, she said this. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool we all have. Your truth. Those two words have become so entrenched in our lexicon today that we hardly recognize them for the incoherent nightmare that they are. My friends, it's not your truth that matters or my truth that matters. It is God's truth because that's the only truth. McCracken goes on and says, among other things, the philosophy of Your truth destroys families when a dad suddenly decides that his truth is calling him to a new lover. 
a new family, or maybe even a new gender. It's a philosophy that can destroy entire societies because invariably one person's truth will go to battle with another person's truth. And devoid of reason, only power decides the victor. That's the state our society is in today. Friends, ultimately it is God's truth that will prevail. I'm not worried about whether or not God is on my side. I want to be on God's side. He's the standard. I'm not the standard. It's not my point of view that matters in the end. But what does God say? And that's where a lot of the pressure is coming from today. Because our society screams at us constantly its point of view and its philosophy, which many times clashes with what the Bible tells us. The Bible says the natural man or the unsaved man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. We ought not be surprised when there's a conflict between what this world says and what the Bible says. God has already told us that such will be the case. And friends, it is our responsibility to keep the faith. Let me say this, there's a way to keep the faith. And I want to talk about that as we look at several principles from this text. Number one, though, keeping the faith is your God-given responsibility. It's not just the responsibility of the preacher. But for every child of God, it is a responsibility. God has given us His revealed truth. We are to proclaim it. We are to live it. This is what Paul tells Timothy in verses 13 through 14. Remember that the topic of discussion throughout this passage is this. Paul is speaking of a deposit, of something precious that God has entrusted to him. In verse 12, he refers to this deposit as that which I have committed unto him. He refers to it as the form of sound or healthy words, sound doctrine, healthy doctrine in verse 13. In verse 14, he calls it that good thing which was committed unto thee. That good thing which was committed is one Greek word in verse 14. And it means a deposit that is committed to someone's trust. William Barclay said this, A man might deposit something with a friend to be kept for his children or his loved ones. He might deposit his valuables in a temple for safekeeping. For back then the temples were the banks of the ancient world. And in the ancient world, there was no more sacred duty than the safeguarding of such a deposit and the returning of it in due time when it was claimed. God has entrusted us with his word. What is this deposit? It is the entirety of God's revealed truth. It is the 66 books of the Bible. It is this truth. 
If you'll turn to Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, notice what Paul told the Romans here. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17, where he talks about this deposit of revealed divine truth that is a precious treasure. Romans 6 and verse 17, Paul says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. That's what you were in your unconverted state. But ye have obeyed from the heart. And that's a key word, key phrase rather. You have obeyed from the heart. And here it is. That form of doctrine which was delivered you. This is God's revealed truth. In other words, man didn't make it up. I didn't make it up. I'm not here to preach my opinions. We're here to preach God's truth, what God has said. It was delivered unto us by God Himself. If someone were to entrust you with something, someone that you respected and admired, you would take that very seriously. How much more do we take seriously the fact that the God of heaven has entrusted us with his truth? He has graciously given it to us. Now, there are certain things that even an unsaved man can know. He can know that there's a God, and he can know that this God is a moral and all-powerful God. But he can't know the gospel, and there are many other things he can't know, unless God gives special revelation. And God has done that in his word. Here's another passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. I love this passage. This is a good one to memorize. If you want to turn there, please. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Turn there, please. Notice how Paul says this. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us. There it is. Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, what? The word of God. What a great verse. That would make a Presbyterian shout. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Boy, what a clear statement. Paul says, this is God's truth that I'm giving you. It wasn't devised by man. Now, how do we hold it fast? It's important. It's God's truth. How do we hold fast? Well, faithfulness in belief and faithfulness in behavior. We proclaim it and we live it. Note that Paul says, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. There's a way to proclaim and live the truth, and we do it in faith and in love. And by the way, there's a wrong way to communicate truth to people. We're not obnoxious. We're not mad at everybody. We don't denigrate people. We don't engage in name-calling. That's not how God's servants do this. But it is through faith and in love. We trust in the power of God to do this. We trust in the love of 
of God which is in Christ Jesus. We want to see people come to Christ, people that are bound in the chains of sin. We want them to come to Christ and to experience the liberty that only He can give. Now, folks, this is God's truth, and I don't have any authority to change it. No authority whatsoever. And my primary loyalties are to God. Period. I must be loyal to Him. It may offend people, but nonetheless, I must proclaim what the truth is. I can do it in a spirit of kindness, I can do it in a spirit of love, but I dare not compromise the message. I dare not change the truth. And friends, there are going to be some people who aren't going to appreciate that. It doesn't matter how much sugar you put on top of it. They're not going to like it. You can use all the kindness and love in the world. And they're going to react against it. They're going to fight against it. Because that's what we did before we were saved. But there are some people who will receive it. And it is only the truth of God that saves. You are not doing people a favor by telling them a lie. You are doing them no favors by watering down God's truth. You may think that you're being compassionate and open-minded, but that's not the case at all. We have no authority to change the truth. We must hold it fast. Ray Pritchard says this, If we're going to make a mark for God in this generation, we must recommit ourselves to the purity and to the truth of the gospel message. And friends, that begins with me. It doesn't begin with me condemning everyone else around me. Whether they're my fellow believers or not, look at the guy in the mirror first. Look at the person in the mirror. God, start with me. Examine my heart. He says this, that's not a popular position nowadays. Paul tells Timothy to keep the blueprint of truth that he had received. He was to guard it against those who would corrupt it or change it or amend it or dilute it in any way. You remember rough drafts in school? You know, when I was in junior high and high school, they always told you that you were supposed to make a rough draft on a research paper. And then finally, you revise it and you revise it, and then you go to the final draft. Well, for me, my rough draft was usually my final draft. The night before the paper was due. A lot of people think of the Bible as a rough draft. And they think they can go through and, with a red pencil and mark out the parts that they don't like, the parts that are insensitive to modern sensibilities, the parts that are politically incorrect, that are going to offend people, they can mark it up however they want. Folks, you don't do God's truth like that. He didn't make a rough draft. When God inspired His Word in the original Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, it was perfect. It was inerrant. No revisions needed. You don't have to revise God's truth, my friend. 
Well, that means that we have no authority to change it. It's a God-given responsibility. Paul says, God will keep his promises without fail. Aren't you glad of that? Remember what he said in verse 12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Oh, I love that great hymn. It's hard to read that verse without remembering that hymn. What a great hymn it is. You see, God is always going to be faithful. The question is, are you going to be faithful? And am I going to be faithful? God is always committed to His truth, and His truth will prevail. And Christian, if you are experiencing backlash and persecution, and some of you do, you do in your jobs each day, in a way that I don't, I get to work around Christian people, and yes, I do encounter unsaved people here and there, but some of you are around mostly unsaved people. Some of you have to take a lot of heat for that, but let me encourage you. Right now, when the pressure is on, sometimes it seems like the world is winning. And that's what the devil will tell you. But God wins, always. And whether people want to acknowledge that or not, and listen, with all our hearts, we hope that they do. But whether they do or not, God's truth is going to prevail. There's an old saying, God and you are the majority. And that, that's true, but you know, God all by himself is the majority. Let God be true and every man a liar. I want to be on God's side. I don't know about you, I hope that all of you in this room are on his side. And I hope that it's not something that you just say, I hope it's something that you live. And that Christ is Lord of your life. Number two, keep the faith that demonstrates your loyalty. Keeping the faith demonstrate, I'm sorry, keeping the faith demonstrates your loyalty. So first of all, it's a God-given responsibility. But number two, it is going to distinguish those who are true from those who are false. Eventually. And Paul talks about two people, and they're just two out of many who deserted him. And when he says Asia, he's talking about Asia Minor, not present-day Asia. But he says in verse 15, he mentions these two men, Phygelus and Hermogenes. You know, no matter how hard we serve God, how hard we pray, there are always going to be some who turn against us. And that was the case with these two men. They represented a larger group of Christians from, from Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey one of the great centers of early Christianity, they turned away from Paul when he was thrown into prison. I guess you could call them fair-weather Christians. You know, there was the phrase that Thomas Paine used many years ago, sunshine patriots, patriots when the war was going great, when everything was good. Well, what God wants is faithfulness even when times are bad. That really tells the tale, doesn't it? When you're faithful to God, when things aren't going so well, and when the pressure's on, that shows the purity of an individual's commitment. What a crushing blow that must have been to Paul. You can hear the sadness in his words. People that he had poured his life into, no doubt. 
Perhaps you've heard the true story of a dog named Hachi or Hachiko. He was born in Japan in 1923. His owner was a professor in agricultural science at Tokyo University in Japan. And this dog would see his owner off to work every morning as he took the train. And then he would greet him at the train station when he returned. One day, his owner never returned. The owner died, had died suddenly of a cerebral hemorrhage at work. But even so, this dog, Hachi, kept going to the train station every morning and every afternoon, patiently waiting in vain for the return of his beloved owner, who sadly never came back. I believe he did this for a period of about nine or ten years. The dog died in 1935. There was a statue erected in his honor. It's a shame that people can't be as faithful as dogs, isn't it? Have you ever had a friend who deserted you? Have you had family who have turned their back on you when times got rough? Let me say this, in this world of struggle, we need one another. It's not just what the church can do for me. Let me say this carefully, because I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. That is important. But listen, it's not just what the church can do for me. But what can I do for the church? What can I do for God's people? Because I can guarantee you every Sunday morning that you come here in a room full of people this size, there's someone who is hurting. There is someone who is discouraged. There's someone who had a really bad week. And you may not even know it. Maybe they're a person that you just barely know, and it's almost impossible to get to know every single person in the room. I, I understand that. But how many of us reach out to other people? How many of us take the time? And you would be surprised how little effort it can take. Let the Lord use you to be that loyal friend when another person is in trouble. This is a task for all of us. It's not just for the preacher or the pastor or for the deacons. It's for all of us. We need to look after one another. Can you hear the sadness in Paul's voice? I can. Later on, he would say, only Luke is with me. What a sad state of affairs for a man who did so much for the cause of Christ. Sometimes, folks, it's just a word of encouragement. It may be a card, maybe an email or a text or a phone call, but it can make all the difference in the world. Keeping the faith demonstrates your loyalty to God, and it also demonstrates your loyalty to one another. That's why we gather here as a church. It's not just that we want to receive, but it's that we want to give. That's why we assemble here in one place. It's not something that you can do long distance. But when we faithfully assemble together, when we're involved in 
and the other functions that go on here at, at Hardingville when we get to know people. We get to know their struggles. God uses us to encourage and to bless others. Number three, keeping the faith brings eternal rewards. This is the other side of the coin. There were some people who were unfaithful, who were disloyal. But aren't you glad it doesn't end there? There was one person in particular who was loyal to Paul. He was loyal to the Lord first and foremost. And friends, that brings eternal reward. When Onesiphorus arrived in Rome, according to one person, he had at least three choices. William MacDonald says, first, he could have avoided any contact with the Christians. And that would have been the wisest course of action because there was a great persecution going on under Nero. Secondly, he could have met with the believers secretly. And there's nothing wrong with that. And he probably did do that. But then, thirdly, he could boldly expose himself to danger by visiting Paul in prison. He could go into the very vortex of where all of this was taking place. And friends, that's exactly what he did. This brought him into direct contact with the Roman authorities. Sometimes doing God's will is a great threat and it is a great risk. Let me put it in more Christian terms. It is a sacrifice. There are times when you're serving God that keeping your head down is not enough. There are times when being silent is not enough. And just, how should I say it, supporting people from afar. There's also the idea of sacrifice. Yes, it's going to cost us to serve Christ. These people in this time lived in a world where it cost everything. It cost your life. It wasn't just your tax-exempt status. It wasn't just your standing in the community. It wasn't just the risk of being marginalized in your society. But here it was death. It was conf confiscation of everything that you had. And in some cases, they would torture a man's family right in front of him. They would do everything that they could to try to break him down. Can you imagine that? It cost people everything. There's a time when sacrifice is involved. And that's what this man understood. And so he zealously looks for Paul. The Bible says in, in this passage, verse 16, verse 17, when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently. In other words, it, it took a lot for him to find Paul. It was a very intense search that took a lot of time, it took a lot of effort. But then he brought Paul refreshment, he, he brought him the things that he needed. When you were in prison at that time, you were totally dependent upon family and friends, just like people in prison would be today, but especially back then, because the prisons were so horrible, conditions were so bad. And to find this one man that stood up for him, what an encouragement that must have been.
And Paul prays that this faithful friend might find mercy from the Lord on the day of his return, on the day of judgment. I I believe that mercy here is used in the sense of reward. That day is the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, may he be rewarded, and he will be. You'll always be rewarded for standing for Christ. A few months ago, the University of Oklahoma women's softball team surprised ESPN by proclaiming that their Christian faith is their motivation and their source of joy. I don't know if any of you saw this. They had just beaten Florida State, which is always a good thing in my book. Probably going to make some enemies here. But they had won the World Series, and one reporter asked them a series of questions. She said, you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, and you guys have had the target on your back the entire time. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? And here's how these young women responded. Infielder Grace Lyons said this, Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. Amen? Alyssa Brito, another, said she and her teammates have focused on a gesture they call eyes up. We're fixing our eyes on Christ, she said. You can't find fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and our love for each other and our love for the game because we know this game gives us the opportunity to glorify God. Brito said that once she turned to Jesus, her outlook on life as well as on softball changed and she understood how much I have to live for and that is living to exemplify the kingdom. I think that, she said, brings so much freedom. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I am so excited about that. Yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home. And no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end when we are with our King. That's the reward. These young women get it. Do we get it? It's worth it to serve Christ in spite of the pressure and the persecution that is going to come. It is always worth it to serve Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that that which You have entrusted us with is going to be consummated one day. All of the blessings are going to be realized because you are a faithful God. And I pray, Lord, that we would take seriously by your grace and by your power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this great responsibility that you have entrusted us with. Lord, to guard the truth, to proclaim it, to live it, to have Christ as our Lord of every aspect of life, Lord, we pray that if there's one here who does not know Jesus as Savior, that they would come to Him today. 
miracles. Only through him can there be that eternal, joyful reward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before Brother Ben comes, we always issue this invitation. Don't ever let it become commonplace. And for those of you who are believers, we need to pray every single week for those who are lost in our midst. Pray that this would be the day that they would come to Christ. My friend, if you're without Him, if you don't know for sure that if you died at this moment, that you would go to heaven, please speak to us after the service. We can show you from the Bible how to be saved. Don't put it off. It's the most important.